Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to The Ruck, live on location at Twickenham Stadium. I'm Alex Lowe and I'm here with Will Kelleher. Hello. Who's back from his weekend in France. Sojourn. Sojourn in France. Yeah. Where, t- talk us through it. Uh, oh, 60 odd hours of constantly moving, I think. So it was an early flight from Heathrow to Lyon, hire car to Clermont. Okay, don't, don't, we don't need your travel plans. Well, how, you was your, how was your weekend in France? What it was very nice, to? yes. I went to Clermont, <laughs> Leicester, which was an... I was slightly concerned when they said there were 5,000 people um, short of capacity. And just before kickoff, it looked a bit empty. And I actually tweeted out a picture being like, oh, it's my first trip here and it's a bit of a shame. It looks a bit empty. And then suddenly everyone turned up. The drums started going. And Leicester got an in- Matt Scott got an intercept in the third or fourth minute. And it just went rattling on from there. Yeah, it was great. great game. Um, Leicester won, really good results. We can talk later about the stat of them putting 40 points on Claremont and then Claremont have now sacked their coach, John O'Gibb. So that was a pretty big result there. Um, then went up to Paris, watched uh, Stade Francais, the Lions, which was <laughs> not as good. <laughs> <laughs> Wet, windy, cold, uh, 7-0 half-time. Stade Francais won 17-7. Spoke to Paul Gustard afterwards, which might use later in the week, um, which was the reason for going. And then Racing Quinns in the discotheque on Sunday which took a while to get going and then Marcus Smith did some magic and Quinn's lost but it all went a bit mad incredible, at the end incredible and also joining us is Stephen Jones rugby uh, correspondent for the Sunday Times Steve we here sound like this just, just happened the way you said that I've been there <laughs> he's in his 40th years. year 40th <laughs> <laughs> it might just be the point Wait, are you doing, are we doing an anniversary your, your sorry are you having a party for your 40th yes I am and my 60th okay Stephen Jones still the rugby correspondent for the Sunday Times joins us also at Twickenham, where we've just heard Steve Borthwick announce his Six Nations squad, which we will go into, but your, your first impressions? First impressions, right from the top, Steve Borthwick is talking brilliantly. And I don't mean that like he's talking brilliantly, yeah, but he doesn't mean it. Um, I think it was one of the most invigorating uh, speeches. He started off sort of Churchillian almost, but when he sat down with uh, you know individual groups of journalists, he was very, very impressive. Um, I don't think there's going to be any um, any of the rubbish associated with the previous regime. I think he's going to pick on form, on premiership form. Uh, he's going to be inspirational. With Kevin Sinfield next to him, I'm just really encouraged. There's an absolute authenticity about this setup, and, and we'll move on to that next in the ruck. We'll, we'll talk a bit about Europe 
We'll talk about the return of Eddie Jones to, to international rugby and we'll have our God or Goddess of the Week. Okay, England. We have a, a new era has been launched here at, at Twickenham Will. We have a 36-man squad, Steve Borthwick's first England squad. What were your highlights from it? What did you take away? What grabbed you immediately? Uh, what grabbed me immediately was possibly the absentees, um, which is how I wrote the initial news story. So Billy Vinopola, out. Um, Johnny May, out. Jack Knoll, out. Um, we'd heard whisperings about Johnny May. Um, possibly thought that Noel might have been saved because Anthony Watson's still injured, but he's gone. Previously a vice-captain under Eddie Jones. Um, and Billy's gone as well. So those are the three that grabbed me immediately, yeah. Steve? I think, uh, just, just concentrate on one of those, Alex. That's Jack Noel. Jack Noel is, is a really inspirational player and, a, and actually a great player. Tough as old boots, maybe not the quickest, but I, I think he could be a leader as well. And I think Jack is just struggling at the moment to, to keep his career going. Uh, when you see him, he's always bandaged up somewhere. The last time I saw him, he had a big hamstring bandage on. Then he's uh, asking, being asked questions about whether he's going to go or stay. And I think, actually, some some of this season is passing him by. And I think he ought to make up his mind go, going or staying. He ought to get fit because he's not fit at the moment. And then I think he would have been in the squad. Billy Vanapola, I it's it's almost taking ripping your heart out when a player like Billy com, comes out of the squad. I think he's not playing as well as he could. Still think they'll miss him, but uh, I guess he's got an opportunity if he plays, plays well for Saris. I do think that Noel uncertainty around what he's doing next season may have come into it. Um, Johnny Major seems like a straightforward decision that he hasn't been scoring the tries or playing as well as he has done in previous years. And last calendar year had quite a few injury problems, didn't he? But the Noel thing, maybe it is just best for him to make the big decision about what he's doing next year and clear the mind, maybe. See, Joe Marchant has made that decision. Yeah. He signed for Stad. He's playing really well for, for Harlequins. I, part of me wonders whether he might be regretting mm. that decision, having been recalled into the England setup. I'm sure he will be. I mean, that, that's one of the things. You've got to be careful because however bad you think your chances are, things change so quickly in international rugby. Someone can have a bad game and someone could get injured and suddenly think, oh, God, hang on, sorry, I'm not going anymore. I want to come back. Can I just say, um, Will was just highlighting people who were out. I want to highlight two people who were in, uh, and that's Marcus Smith and Alex Dombrand. The her- he- almost said heroines. The heroes of Harlequins. But in my opinion, they are totally under pressure to prove that the publicity they get from Harlequins is valid. People forget with Marcus Smith, he is a very, very distinguished player in one sense. If you remember the last time he played for England, his first seven kicks all landed where no, without any danger, without putting anyone under pressure. Now, he may be a running fly half, but that is only about 5% of the game these days. And, and Dombrandt, is to be pr- it's to be proven by him, hopefully, that he's an international number eight. There was a really interesting point that Steve Borthwick made in conversation about his selections and the leadership and the key decision makers. Reflecting on England's struggles in November, when they're under pressure, when things are going wrong, what he's learned from what he watched, but also from what he has heard from talking to the players, is that the players' minds were scrambled. They didn't know how they were supposed to be playing how they were supposed to be getting themselves out of trouble, what they were supposed to be doing. So a player like Marcus Smith clearly has his super strengths, as Steve Borthwick would call it, had come into the England squad 
and was suddenly befuddled as to as to what to do. And we talked at, at the at the top of the pod about authenticity. Now we haven't seen this England team play yet, but an absolute theme of Steve Borthwick's regime thus far, which has involved a couple of press conferences and, and now a squad selection, is authenticity. He's picked players who are playing well. He's rewarding players for form. And one of the other key points is he wants those players to bring into the England team what they deliver for their clubs. I.e., he doesn't want to pick Sam Sims at number eight and try and get him to play like Billy Bunapola. He doesn't want Ben Earl to be anything other than the Ben Earl who plays for Saracens. He'll need to form a, uh, or forge a, a, a structure and a game plan that allows those players to thrive. But to me, that's, an ab- that's a, a direct reaction from what we saw in the autumn and what we saw building through the year, this confusion, this lack of clarity. And clarity is going to be a buzzword of this England setup, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, on that note and Steve's note about Marcus Smith, because we now have to say Marcus Smith because Finn Smith is in there as well. The Smiths are in, which we can get onto that in a minute, but that's interesting. Um, I suspect George Ford will come back in when he's fully fit, uh, which might mean that Finn Smith drops out. But with, with Marcus, after the Racing game, uh, in Paris, we spoke to him, and he was the first thing he said as he sat down because we were having watched the game, we're like, oh, look at Marcus, he played so well and all that, and albeit they lost, but look what he can do, kind of thing. And he sat down, and he was like, oh, I'm absolutely gutted. He was really cross, and we were sort of hoping for a bit of a nice, colourful interview, and he's sitting there seething. And actually, it was something that Steve Borthwick talked about when he met Marcus two weeks ago. Marcus had his iPad out with all the notes of why he could get better. And he actually said he rang him last night, probably just before he got on the Eurostar home. He said, how are you? And the answer was sort of like, oh, we should have done this, we should have done that, we should have done that better, really cross about this. So there's that element of him, which I think people still misunderstand about Smith, that he is just this kind of maverick Finn Russell type fancy Dan player. He's seriously driven, and he, but he doesn't seem like he is in the way that Owen does, Owen Farrell. But also, I think the other thing I noticed yesterday, and it was a comment that he made afterwards, is I felt like I was playing at school when I was there, which is nothing we've seen with him for England. And it took him 50 minutes to get into the game, and he said himself, I felt quite rusty having had seven weeks out. But when he made that outside break, dummy switch with Andrew Esterhazen through Saeli and Gail Fiku, and then provided a pass for Murley, his old housemate, you just thought, that's, that's the freedom, the instinct... And actually asked him afterwards, what did you see? And he was like, I don't know, I just went for it. I, I didn't think about it, I didn't analyse it. If they can get that out of him in an England jersey, whether that's in the 22 jersey off the bench, which may be the way they go, then I think there's surely got to be, which is what I wrote in my piece, as much as it's about numbers and stats, we know, with Borthwick, there's got to be a way of capturing that essence of Smith, which they haven't seen for anything. I don't think there's any way you can do it at an international level. Really? I don't think there's any way you can do it at an international level. And I tell you what, when we, people are, we're, we're assessing whether people are driven, Owen Farrell has never spoken about being driven, but we know he is. And I'm suspicious of people who keep on saying, I'm very driven. I'm suspicious of it. It's not it. something that Smith says. I think it's but, something that people well, say about him. Okay, but let's just come back to Alex's point. Authenticity, totally, and clarity... Because I remember with sitting next to Stuart Barnes and Chris Jones at, at, at every international in the autumn. And at one point, one of us said, and we all agreed, they do not know what they're doing. Mm. They don't know what they're doing. And uh, as an international coach, of Eddie Jones, that's criminal. And, and 
everyone down in Australia celebrating the homecoming of the of the gladiator Eddie, they didn't watch any of the internationals in this last year. They must have missed them because England had no idea what they were doing in the last two games or maybe all four of the autumn. One of the priorities uh, for Steve Borthwick is to fix the scrum. England had the worst performing scrum of any of the top ten nations last year. Uh, I've spoken to a lot of experts in, in the area who could just would give you chapter and verse on, on the detail that was wrong, the, the, the engagement sequence. The, what, everything that they were trying to achieve was wrong, and they were 10th out of 10. Dan Cole comes back, who is an unapologetic set-piece specialist. Um, I guess it comes back to the, to the authenticity point. It comes back to the idea of you pick a player because he's the best in his position in the league and just don't pretend to be anything else. Come and do what makes you good. And, and Borthwick's strategy is that you mould a team around that and you get a winning team. I think, I mean, we'll come back to Dan Cole himself at the moment. I have to say that um, th- there's a great development system in England run by the RFU, under 20s and, uh, the, the, and the pathway and all these people involved in it. The idea that they have not produced a single scrummaging tight head prop in years is, is scandalous. I have to say, not being a fan of Dan Cole, that I would have picked him as well um, because... Um, when, you can't. We can't be going back. I only hope that he doesn't do what he does do for Leicester, and that sometimes I've seen Leicester three or four times where they'd be nine nil down, and all three were penalties given against Dan. But look, I think he'll be attacked, but by you know hooker props in all the games. But I have to say, I can't think of anyone anyone better. And the idea of Dan, I don't know what you think. Well, the Dan doing the first sort of fifty minutes, and then you let loose Carl Sinclair, is, has got certain amount to recommend it. Yeah, I think we'll see Henry Arundel's probably going to come back in, in the middle of the tournament and he's had a while Not off. tight head. No, no, but I'm talking well, about... Well, he could do. Things aren't that bad. No, no. <laughs> well, he's got mo- mobility. <laughs> yeah. No, but what I was going to say was, and you often look at England's squad on paper and you just go, wow, there's a lot of talented players in there, but they could, they could produce a really serious bench. I mean, I know it's all probably should be about the starting team first, but whatever they call them, and maybe mm. the finishers thing will be dropped by, quietly when they announce their first team. Um, if you had, for example, a Sinclair on the bench, um, a Mako on the bench, mm. um, a Smith, Marcus, and an Arundel, by the time you get to the France and Ireland games at the end of the season, at the end of the Six Nations, sorry, the last 20 minutes of a game, you could absolutely blow it apart if you need to, or keep it tight with the guys mm. that stayed on. The one on the scrummaging point... We didn't expect him to be in, but I still feel like Joe Marler needs to be in this conversation and may well come back into it by the time the World Cup comes round. But in the Racing game, in the first half alone, he and his front row won four scrum penalties and a free kick um, against Sadate, Gomez Sar, Test Prop, hmm. and then he unfortunately got knocked out quite badly, and Trevor Niakane came on who absolutely tore apart the Lions scrum mm. a couple of years ago, and he won pens off him as well. So whatever you think about what he does around that, the Quinn's sort of Jouet style is based on having seriously good props. I mean, Wilco Lowe's leaving, but I think Marler's got to be in the conversation. Well, well you're right. You're right about, about, about that. Um, but, but, but with some of the things with Joe, I don't care about all this stuff. I'm lucky he's, he's served his bands and, and everything. But he's got to make up his mind whether he wants it or not. Yeah, Because sure. he's dropped yeah. and he's dropped, he's in and out. Come on, mate. I, I actually texted him the other day. He said, Joe, you're a really great player. Make your mind up. 
one, one way or the other. He came around my house and beat me up. Um, <laughs> That's why he's got yeah. a Shea Mohawk in. Well, okay, the, uh, the but I mean, he's, he's, he's a good player. Don't waste it. You, you, you can't opt to come back in when you're 44. Mm. On the subject of bans, uh, we have to address the Owen Farrell situation. Named in the squad, named as captain, um, the RFU have engineered a situation where which, which will conf- confirm his availability for the Scotland game by writing to Saracens to um, confirm that they would have released Farrell to play in that game against Bristol, even though we know that he wouldn't have been released to play in that game. He never has been released to play in that game. Uh, he's never played a Premiership game the weekend before the Six Nations. Steve Borthwick's position was, I'm the England head coach, I'm divorced from mm-hmm. any uh, disciplinary proceedings, and I'm also not part of the RFU legal team. It's the R- he said, the RFU legal team said to me, I am clear to pick him, for, and he'll be available for Scotland, so I picked him. I took that to mean Borthwick. I asked Borthwick directly, does it sit comfortably with him? And he said, that has nothing to do with me. I took that to mean very clearly he was trying to separate himself from the the perception slash reality that the RFU have have gamed the system, gamed their own regulations in order for the England captain to be available. He probably he couldn't say it really because it's throwing legal departments under the bus and all that, and probably not fair to do that so um, shortly into the job. But the things that he talks about, his authenticity and all that. I felt, in some ways, you can feel sorry for him a bit because the, he's being thrown under the bus by all this, all the jiggery-pokery around whether he's going to be available or not. And you think, as a guy who wants to be as honest as possible and as authentic as he can, the first squad he's had to pick has got this sort of weird cloud over it of the guy that he wants to be his captain. Mm. Not for me. No cloud over it for me, I'm afraid. Um, uh, the the uh, Owen Slot's best friend, the, ki- the, the King's Council who chaired the panel... <laughs> Every panel I ever heard of, once you're banned, you're banned. The, the KC made the decision, or at least with his two colleagues, that he should fudge the issue. If he wanted to ban Owen from the international, he, sh- he could have said it's, f- it's four games or it's five games and we let him have one off. He did not do it, and he left the whole thing open. And it's tough. It's tough. I think Owen should be there. I don't care who made the call. If the if the if the disciplinary panel who claim omnipotence about everything, you can't appeal. Even if you didn't do it, even if you weren't on the field, and um, I think it's perfectly right for him to be playing. And it's the disciplinary procedures that that went wrong. Oh, it, it, completely. I think there was a misperception among some, a lot of them Saracens fans, who feel that this is an anti Owen Farrell situation. It's nothing to do with the no. fact it's Owen Farrell. It's it's given more prominence because it involves the England captain. But it's the, it's the procedure that's under the microscope here. It's, it's the fact that the, the independent panel gave him his ban because he wasn't in the England squad at that point, so it only applied to Saracen's fixtures. But specifically said, and I haven't seen another example of them saying this, that if his circumstances change, then they reserve the right to amend the suspension. Hmm. By being picked for England, his circumstances would change because suddenly he wouldn't, in all re- uh, reality, play the week before the Scotland game. The RFU legal department have circumvented that by writing to Saracens to declare that he would have been available, which we know isn't true. I just think the issue here is about the RFU upholding its own values of good conduct, discipline, respect. You know, These bans are in place to try and 
change player behavior. We can debate whether or not that A, that's working, and B, it's the right way to do it. But that's what they're here for, and that's what the union has signed up to support and to therefore try and shortcut it in order to get their captain available is a really poor look. Nothing to do with Owen at all. But I think it's a really poor look. I, I, I think the whole thing, by the way, is um, when you go to a, g- a game now, as I w- wrote the other day, once you go to a game, when anyone sees a, a, they, they replay a collision, if, it, if you're the home fans, you roar your head off and go oh, off, off, off. It, and I tell you what, the whole debate, in my opinion, has become poisonous. And I would go so far as to not play the re- replay the the action on the ho- on the at the ground. The ho- and the the bile. You're right. It's not aimed against Owen, but everyone else in the world on social media has aimed themselves against Owen. Mm. And I tell you what, it, it is a disgrace. I can't think of any other country where the national captain would be treated so abysmally. Um, last note, and it was something that Russ Petty, the statistician, tweeted you when you suggested that that the RFU were gaming the system. And he quoted something that I think that was in the Joe Marler disciplinary hearing that it we was. all know about where he abused Jake Heenan's mother. Uh, and it was a quote from that panel. And it says, Rugby's core values are not empty words or slogans which can be signed up to and then ignored. They're not to be treated as useful bolt-ons dreamt up by a marketing team. There and then two weeks, three weeks later, dot, dot, dot. There you go. So, it, and and Seaborth, I think, was thrown a hospital pass by his by his bosses. I think he dealt with it about as well as he, as he could have done, which was to basically say, this has nothing to do with me. I have not made this decision. I've been given advice by the legal team and I'm told I can pick Owen. Now, we know how important Farrell's going to be to this England setup. It's why he was retained as captain, which is one of the areas I find interesting. There's a lot of talk of change, of authenticity, of, of a new approach. We talked about referring back to November and this lack of clarity and understanding. The one thing that hasn't changed is the core leadership team. Owen Farrell's captain, Ellis Genge and Courtney Laws are his vice-captains. Do we therefore think that they didn't have enough of a say in the autumn, that that they'll be empowered more now, or were they were they not at fault? What, what do you make of... Uh, there's a lot of talk of change, but that core has remained the same. It's it's the same, but I think I think you, know, you don't have to change everything because it, it may, wasn't all wrong. But I have to say this. I mean, Eddie Jones's way of getting leaders was like to send Marrow on a leadership course and all that. That's absolute rubbish. Acting as well. Absol- well, absolute rubbish. It's and like uh, Genge, <laughs> um, Steve Borthwick is very well known to Genge, uh, to um, Genge and vice versa. So I think that, I think that's valid, Alex. The one thing, uh, the one debate I've got is Courtney. Courtney Lodge is a magnificent bloke, magnificent player. And earlier on, when we were talking to the the England management, they really bigged up the guy, and quite rightly. The only problem I got with Courtney is he's had a real large number of injuries, and it was only two, three weeks ago where there was big rumours sweeping around that they, he was going to announce his retirement. Now he's shorter games; he's actually got this weight problem where he can't put on weight. I hope and pray, because he's a magnificent bloke, a magnificent player, that he will be one of the three leaders all the way through to the World Cup. But I have to say that I, well, I just hope and pray he will be. Simple as that. Um, on the note of the group, I suppose Courtney missed all of the autumn, didn't he? And we can always look in hindsight, can't we? But I feel like that was probably quite a big loss because he seemed, when we went on that trip to Australia, he was the captain, wasn't he, with Ellis as, the, as one of the vices with yeah. Noel and Farrell was there too. Just the way he is just seemed to permeate really well across the squad. And him and Gen seemed to be really popular among the 
the other players because they kind of balance out some of the more intense elements of Farrell's character, maybe. And I think, well, that Courtney mm-hmm. himself actually said that they had conversations with Eddie about calming down a bit and when it's a day off, actually be a day off and when they're asked to go back to their rooms, let them go back to their rooms and just have free time and things like that. And it felt on that Aussie trip that they actually got that and that maybe mm. was lost when they came back in the autumn and Courtney wasn't there and things changed and they were in bag shot a lot and all that sort of thing. I think there's, a, there's an interesting back row debate as well where Courtney, should, let's assume he's fully fit and, f- and firing again, whether he fits in at six in the way that Steve Borthwick looks at the way he wants to, to shape up his, his pack in particular. He was talking a lot about the need in the Six Nations to to fight on the floor. You know, we know we know mm. when Scotland are so strong competing at, at the breakdown and Richie, Watson, Bradbury, all those guys. It, exactly. Yeah. So you just wonder whether actually heading into maybe horses for courses, but certainly in the in the opening game, whether whether a kind of an Earl and a Curry, Ben Curry who's who's the, the brother who's in at the moment with Tom being out injured, uh, and a Jack Willis, whether whether two of those three are more likely to start in the in the back row than, than Courtney and, and whether Borthwick backs his his line-out expertise to, to overcome the lack of third jumper, which Eddie Jones was so wedded to. Very interesting uh, observation. Um, Jack Willis, Ben Earl, and uh, Ben Curry, that is tr- three tremendous players, not all in the same style. A heck of a lot then would depend on who the number eight is because if it's someone coming in for their first or uh, initial games, that then you, you, you lose a bit. But I also think that Courtney... Um, is he really? If you if you're Dan Cole, and with with great respect, is it Courtney you want to be pushing behind you? Because he's not the biggest. I mean, he's a fantastic player, but I think the where Courtney plays is really really key, but also very very difficult. I mean, you were a great scrummaging front row man, Alex. What do you think? Seriously, I mean, well, only when I had a massive bloke behind me. Yes. Yes. You need Moa Farner. Did you see yeah. him yeah. on the weekend? 20 oh, odd God. stone plus. Well, that's oh, what you want. Eddie oh. Jones would be on the phone to him. Yeah. 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 qualified. Yeah. Him and Skelton in the second row. Can you imagine that? Well, yeah. I, I just think that in, what they haven't got today, what we didn't hear is the, is the England Skelton, the right-hand lock. They don't have one. I don't it. think there is one. No, no, I don't think there is. But, yeah. w- you know, with, with Courtney, you want him in the team but I think you, you gain every, loads of stuff, but wherever you play him, you lose a little bit as well. Yeah, it's a fascinating conversation. We've got, uh, as Steve, Steve, Steve Borthwick was saying, 19 days of, of conversation, debate over this, the makeup of that England team before, before Scotland. Just, just one other area I'd like to get your thoughts on. We, start, we touched at the start on Johnny May and Jack Noel not being there. Ollie Hassel-Collins and Caden Murley have come in. Now, Murley was vaguely involved with England when they were in camp in Jersey and was dropped pretty ruthlessly. Certainly the rumours would suggest he was sent on his way with with a flea in his ear by, by Eddie Jones, but for, for nothing other than Eddie decided he didn't rate him. Mm. He's back in. Ollie Hassel-Collins is, is in. Malins as well, and, talking and, of fleas in the air. Yeah, mm. <laughs> Malins, who was also treated pretty, pretty ropely at, at one point in last year's Six Nations by Eddie Jones. What do you think... It looks to me like England have got a, a whole new back three in the making. Obviously, with Freddie Stewart as, as the focal point in, in the middle, but you saw Murley at the weekend. Murley, Hassel mm. Collins tearing up the Premiership. Freeman. Freeman, too. You've got form, a uh, variety of, of wings there as well. Uh, and if, they, if they're invited to come in and play like they can, what yeah. do you think? I will answer that. But the first thing I was going to say was seriously young backline. Yeah. A lot of them. 
and obviously Ben Young's too Lange if they play they're both 30 plus aren't they and possibly Slade and becomes quite important I would guess his red card likely to be rescinded that's certainly what Exeter mm-hmm. Chiefs hope um, they got a, against the Bulls for a high tackle on Kirtley Aronza which is sort of a seatbelt tackle really wasn't it it was more of a yellow than a red um, but if you look at Freeman you look at Murley Marchant isn't they're very young but sort of in test experience is quite young um, JVP pretty young Mitchell hasn't played a test at all has he or if he has it's one cap it's a, it's a green backline, possibly isn't it but on your question Stewart did move to the right wing sometimes with Leicester didn't he but he was our um, ruck team of the year fullback you'd mm. expect him to stay there I'd like to see more of Freeman because um, I just think he's he's got the size and the power to make a difference. And if he can be put in space, not just in faces, then he'd be dangerous. And then could he... I personally think he's probably slightly ahead of Hassel Collins. And on the other wing, is it a pacey, bustling Murley? But it depends on the 10, maybe. Um, or one of the others. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. They I, need I some think, pace, don't I they, think as Murley well? is a is about as close as he's going to have to a Jack Knoll. Mm. Um, powerful player, high work rate, great in the air, finishes brilliantly. Try scorer as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Like knows, knows how to beat that lot. I mean, what it's funny. Look, this is a sad comment on rugby, maybe, but when when you're um, three weeks before the game and before, we're all talking about, oh, great, Hassel Collins, and he's obviously talented, Murley too, but actually the nearer the game comes and, and the nearer you, the selectors come to selecting, you start thinking, I don't know, well, can they defend under the high ball, under the box kick? And I think uh, I, I agree with Will. Freeman, I think, plays fullback. He has played for Saints recently at fullback. I think he's a good all-round player and he's got his head screwed on. But I always think, blimey, the, the left wing is going to be under so much high, so many high balls. Is he competent to do it? And, and that'll actually, sadly, that will be that t- that skill will be tested far more than his attacking skill. So Murley's a great attacker, but I, I think in the end you, you, you go conservative. Your left wing's got to be an extra fullback. Just to wrap up the, the England conversation, and, and I do think it connects with um, the news overnight, Sunday into Monday, of, of Eddie Jones signing back with Australia for a five-year deal to take charge of the Wallabies, Dave Rennie being sacked. Will and I were in Australia in the summer and I, I, I was living there, my first reporting job actually, back in '03. The size of rugby union in Australia now, compared to 2003, is is worryingly small. Like it, it, it didn't break into the national news. It was, would often not feature in national newspapers. It was, it, it grew through the series because interest grew through the series. But they really struggling. They were really struggling in rugby union to make their mark at the start of five or six year period, which is in, enormous for. The sport it's almost make or break for rugby union as a as a mainstream sport in australia with with the, the world cup coming up the lions tour 2025 and then they host the world cup i think eddie jones um is a is a very smart recruitment for rugby australia because he will give the sport the shot in the arm it needs um i think on on the field i think he has he's, he can make the short-term changes we saw it with england when he arrived he can lift the team quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he would also grow the, the profile of the sport. There's, a, there's a, an excitement down under. Long-winded way of asking, Steve, do you feel heading into this Six Nations, they haven't played a game yet, 
But are you optimistic? Are you enthused? Are you excited about watching England and the Six Nations in a way that you haven't been for some time? All those things you said. All those all those things I I, I am. And um, look, I, I I've seen some some desperate England um, performances and desperate England regimes. I've also seen some brilliant regimes and. People don't still don't realise that how how losing the country and losing Twickenham how important it is. You know, look, Eddie, you're quite right. He will rouse the nation over there. I mean, after three years, maybe the the, the Eddie effect will go, as we know it does. But it's it's just wonderful, and we're sitting here. We, we are all beholden on English rugby to get a space over the god of football, as as you know. And I just think it's wonderful. That no one's kicked a ball yet in, under the, under the uh, Borthwick regime. They haven't even trained. But the way they talk, I think, is authentic. Uh, I think so. We- I, I think the way it's going, and I think he's got three games or four games to to get himself together. So it's Scotland's huge, but it is exciting. Will don't you think is so? It perfectly set up. Scotland perfectly at home, which will be all sort of fiery and a bit wet, and they'll might play a fairly limited game plan. They've got 19 days to work out how to play. Farrell at 10 to Lange Slade, quite likely. You'd expect maybe Dan Kelly in there. Win 15-9, something like that. And then it's Italy at home again. A bit more clarity, another week. And then it's a build-up to a Wales game that have got a bit more time. Gatland adds a bit of spice to that one, doesn't it? But Wales are basically pretty rubbish at the moment, based on their last form. And then you've got the two of the top two teams in the world after that. And Fonta at the moment, home. the expectation is... Looking at the 21 Six Nations and the 22 Six Nations, three wins is better than both of those. And they could be that with the last two to go. Who knows? Maybe they've lost a couple. Can I, actually, I have to say that if they lose to Scotland, Italy and Wales, it's Borthwick out. <laughs> um, listen, the, 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 just, we, there's one person that we have mentioned, I'm very intrigued by him, that's Elliot Daly. He's got a magnificent hat-trick on Friday. Seven one, minutes, by the way, trying to seven try. Seven minutes. One of the, you wouldn't think it's time to get the conversion and come back again. I've always really rated him. He's been mucked around from pillar to post. I I asked Steve Borthwick earlier, are people going to be shunted around or are they going to be played where they're most happy? And Elliot is most happy at 13. And that means you have to leave out some some good players. But I would love to think that alongside Mando Tulagi, Elliot Daly will be given the chance. Although, lots, I mean, Saturday night was playing at 15, wasn't he? I mean, they move it because it was Alex Good at 10, wasn't it? Because as we know, Owen was (laughs) banned. But, yeah, didn't even mention him, did we, in our back three conversation. But maybe he comes into it if Slade's banned or big left foot, both of them. Just before we finish off this section, um, Alex, you mentioned Eddie Jones there. Um, I can take readers behind the curtain a little bit. Because I was I was on the last Eurostar home from Paris, which actually the same Harlequins team were on. And we're in the Channel Tunnel. And then when you come out, there's not much signal. But when we did get signal, suddenly quite a lot was happening. And our man, Alex Lowe, was desperately scrabbling to break that story and ended up doing so, uh, for an English media at least. Fair play, good get. <laughs> Thank you. But the conversation I was having with Chris Foy from the Daily Mail, who came on the trip with me too, was just sitting there being like, as much as he deserves to get sacked as England coach, that absolutely spices up the World Cup fantastically, doesn't it? Because... Everyone's looking at the sort of what I would call the left-hand side of the draw, which has New Zealand, France, Ireland, South Africa all in it, and two of them are going home quite early. And the other side you go, oh, yes, maybe. But now the other side's got Gatland in it in Wales, Eddie in it with Australia, Checker in it with Argentina, a New England era with Borthwick, lots of unhappy coaches after about 
a month. And Raji Erasmus is still going. Yeah, <laughs> well, he's on the other side. But you're just thinking, I was joking with people earlier that Eddie might just throw the Wales game just so that they can just definitely try and play England. Because that, that's going to be, it's so inevitable, isn't it? Or, or if they play Wales or if they play Australia, that quarterfinal in Marseille, if England get through, like, like, like extraordinary him, scenes, Like him it? or hate him, admire him, respect him, get frustrated by him. It's just spiced up all the narratives. Hmm. Eddie Jones being at the World Cup makes will make, and the impact he can have on Australia, and that, that story, what will he do with them through one rugby championship and, and into a World Cup, becomes a, re- a fascinating tale. The fact that, that he's he's gone back to Australia, Gatlin's gone back to Wales, they're playing in, in the same pool. It just elevates the whole the whole story. Saying we, we want to go there and tell the story of the tournament. That story has just become a lot more interesting to everyone. Hmm. Fast forward two years to the, the British and Irish Lions tour to Australia. That was a gig that we know Eddie Jones coveted. And he messed it up and by saying, up I don't want to sit and wear a blazer. Yeah, he, he, exactly. He messed it up and he, and he was never made Lions coach. He's now got a chance to coach against the Lions in, in 2020. Andy Farrell's Lions? Probably Andy Farrell's Lions. And I just wonder, we, we sat around, at the, in fact, the same table we're sitting around now, talking to Bill Sweeney a few weeks ago when he appointed Steve Borthwick and asked him whether he would have any regrets about not inserting a, a no-compete clause into Eddie Jones's exit. And he's brushed it off and he said, Eddie's not right for us now, but good luck to him. We expect to see him at the World Cup. You know how sport works. You just, you can just see a scenario where they en- he ends up playing England. Um, his Australia team end up playing Steve Borthwick's England team hmm. in Marseille at the World Cup. And Bill Sweeney would probably not be sitting quite as comfortably on that no. evening as as he was here at, at Twickenham. Do, do you know what? You're right. I hate it when, and I've done this myself, you say it's... Um, Eddie Jones's Australia plays Steve Borthwick's England or Warren Gatlin's Wales. It's not their team, but actually, you had the people you two just said, and then you had like Sean Edwards is around, and uh, you know all, all these all these big name coaches, and they, they they they're not averse to the limelight, are they? All these guys. I mean, you might as well just send the coaches over to Basham and not <laughs> not bother with the players because it's it's so big. I mean, they, recently the Barbarians announced a game. And uh, they said, "Oh, it's uh, it's Eddie Jones against Steve Hansen." For God, if anyone buys a ticket on Cage those match. grounds, you, <laughs> you, you, you would. But actually, all these dukes around it—it it is good, really. It is good for the game. Also, interesting. Like side note, but um, at the Rugby Writers Club, we each year try and rally the members to vote for our personality of the year, and it can mean whatever it means to different people. And our shortlist we put out. Two of them were coaches, the other one was a referee, and then the only player was Sarah Hunter. It's that interest, the cult of the super coach. Yeah, it's very Premier League. It is very Premier League. Oh, yeah. But, um, Klopp, you know, and actually, sort of... of all those coaches that you mentioned, the one who wouldn't want to be known as, as it's his team is Steve Borthwick. Absolutely. He won't want it to be Steve Borthwick's England. He'll want it to be his players. England's England. England. England's England. His players' England. Twickenham's England. But... Um, but it's definitely Michael Checker's Argentina and it's definitely Eddie Jones' yeah. Australia. I tell you what, I love that. As long as you just mentioned Premier League, when it goes that far, you've got to give up. I mean, Conte against um, Arteta and all that, that's awful. How did but that go? If it doesn't go that too far, <laughs> sorry? How did that go? Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know when they're playing sh- shortly. Eight I think. points clear, aren't they? The other lot was desperate. All right, all right. I'm not making that point. All I'm, say- all I'm saying is that... Um, it shouldn't go that far, but it is intriguing when, it, when it's almost there. You know. Can I just say, absolute last, last, last note. Um, this is really behind the curtain. 
but for the last couple of weeks we've had a different producer because our, our usual god of every week, Alfie Reynolds, who produces this and edits it so well, um, has been away. And he can't answer this because he doesn't have a microphone, but where have you been, Alfie? Australia. And when, when he comes back, oh, yeah. only a few days later... Oh, yeah. influence, influence, isn't it? That story must have been around when Alfie was down there, oh, honestly. Didn't bring it back with him because he was no, probably in the room organising it. Yeah, well, could be, yeah. yeah so right. there you go, Alfie, run, remember the name, everyone. When, when Eddie him. does his next press conference, he says, ah, it was Alfie, mate. <laughs> it was all Alfie. Why would he say it in that accent, though? <laughs> yeah, the Sri Lankan Eddie Jones. <laughs> right, that is our, I think it's a pretty comprehensive summary of where of, of today's England squad announcement, the latest with Eddie. Um, coming up next on the ruck, I think we'll have a, a quick rundown of what happened in Europe and end with our God or Goddess of the Week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Okay, our intrepid adventurers are back from their European uh, travels. Um, Does it count when you just get the LNER up to Manchester? Intrepid is that intrepid, right. Steve? It is at the moment. It is. In, yes, it is no. intrepid. <laughs> You're lucky when you that. when you board the train with seven thousand Man United oh, supporters yeah, living in London, yeah. and there's there's no buffet and there's no Wi-Fi. Oh, it's God. reasonably intrepid. That actually, yeah, all the listeners are crying yeah, actually, for us. Yeah. They did all right, didn't they? Sale. They were a bit worried about their game clashing with Manchester derby. Oh yeah, they did. They did well. I, t- I have to say this for sale. It was. I've never had experienced such a buzz with them. There was a great buzz, almost full. And uh, felt very unlucky. You lose two props in seven seconds. Yeah, very unlucky. So, what what was your highlight of the European weekend, Steve? Highlight was uh, well, can I have a low light because something hurt me really deeply, and I'm not taking um, anything away from Leicester's excellent performance. But Claremont, what on earth has happened to them? Unbeatable at home for for donkey's years, and for for Will to say that the the, the crowd were out of it. Um, in an early stage is desperate and John O'Gibbs had to go and he's gone I mean they couldn't get Eddie to do that in his spare time I suppose at Claremont but they need to get themselves back because that is um, uh, one of the great uh, uh, visiting uh, grounds on the, on the I've still got the Claremont top I bought down there as well Is that because you forgot your layers? I forgot my, forgot my layers and I, I wore, <laughs> wore this huge color. So it's about eight inches too big for me <laughs> but that was, that, was, that was sad I really sad I mean, my, my highlight was probably the opposite of that was I was expe- as I said at the top I was expecting it to be a bit disappointing and maybe because there's so much drumming and noise throughout that it sort of papers over the possible lack of atmosphere but it was a, it was a mad old game both the Friday and the Sunday games were pretty bonkers. Um, but it just kept going and going and going. And the three of us who were there, the guy from the tell, Charles Richardson and Chris Foy, I mentioned earlier from the Daily Mail and I, were the three that went. And varied panics of filing on the whistle on a late Friday night game, they're holding the paper for you and 
just sitting there and going like, what? Everything, it just doesn't stop happening. There's just so much going on. There's cards and there's tries and then Claremont come back and this is an unbelievable offload and then they mess something up and then Leicester come storming back. It was, it was just a really cool game and it's one of those where you're just thinking that it's, it is quite fun our job sometimes, isn't it? Where you get yeah. to do that sort of stuff. And yeah. then the Disco Tech on Sunday. I really, I'm always weird. It's weird there because I've been there three times and they've never even got it half full. But it it doesn't sort of look like it's empty because it's mm. so dark mm. and the seats are black. You can't actually see. So I, if people have seen my Twitter account, they, I did a video that showed all the empty seats. And I think it holds 30-odd thousand. And they had 10,000 in there. And the nice bar, brass band umpiring away in the corner and stuff like that. And there's a fair bit of Quinn support down there too. But, yeah, I'm not so sure enough to know. I want to tell you uh, that well, next time I go there, It'll be packed to the rafters. Yeah, they'll be they'll do the big announcement where they do the playing in the press box. It's Stephen. No, it's not that. And everyone goes, Joe. It's it's Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> yeah. It is sold out. I can tell the you. Boss is back. Well, I've got two tickets. Oh, are you watching him here? Yeah, there, no, at the, it's, it's La in France. the La Defense. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so they're yeah. going to have to move another European Cup game because the boss is they there might, instead. Might do. Going well, back the, to the, the boss has said, carry on with the rugby. I want to come and watch, but the, he, is gonna, to run. he is going to play there. That yeah. works, doesn't yeah. it? Born yeah. to yeah. run with Fred Russell? Born to a bit older. He's got made 48 albums since then, <laughs> but we'll keep up with you. So I think my highlight, um, which will segue neatly into our God or Goddess of the Week, was Justin Tipperick's try for Ospreys. Just showcased the attacking skills of, uh, of the man. Sam Warburton talks about his unique ability at the, at the breakdown and, and to move players and uh, safely um, nowadays, which is so important. This wasn't that skill set. This was the skill set that has, in years gone by, had people going, can he play 12 or 13 for Wales? A cross kick to Keelan Giles that Finn Russell would be proud of. Keelan Giles, the, the, the footwork and the ability to, to stab the kick back in field, um, almost in hope rather than expectation, only to find that Tipperick had not given up on it he was chasing it down. And then the ability that he showed and the judgment he showed to dive early, hmm. position his body uh, in between the ball and the defender to then grasp it and roll over the line was just a piece of wonder. I mean, there, there was, we saw some great skills. You, you saw a lot, Will, in, um, in France. But that, to me, for, for a back row player to be doing that is, um, is, is just wondrous stuff. He so is amazing. That, that was my highlight. And also, he gets my God of the Week yeah. uh, nomination. On a quick one on that, because I... I I promised on Twitter that we might mention it in a short way on the ruck, but um, some Welsh fans getting quite excited about the Ospreys possibly qualifying. It was Squidge Rugby, I think the analyst guy, who was saying it's been 13 years since uh, the O's have qualified for the last 16 or knockouts of Europe. And I was like, sort of doesn't really count, though, when it's harder to get knocked out than stay in (laughs) in this competition, is it? When eight in two pools go through and then the others drop down and only a couple actually miss out entirely... It's not like the greatest achievement in the world to get through, is it? But when you're a Welsh region and don't get through much, maybe it's different. So, Will, who's your nominee? Uh, God of the Week, yeah. Um, similar on a, on a note of skill. We actually asked the Leicester media guy beforehand about this guy because we were looking through the team sheet and we were sort of like, oh, the guy at 11, can you tell us a little bit about him in case something happens? Harry Simmons. And he said, oh, yeah, um, great left foot, was on loan at Jersey recently. Just hasn't really had the chance to get into the team or whatever. He's actually played a bit of scrum half. And we're lucky we asked because then he scored an absolutely unbelievable try where he turned two defenders inside out. Racker, who's not <laughs> not bad himself, and then um, Newsom, the fullback. 
in the space of about a meter, stepping off one foot, then the other, and went in. And there was a lovely clip when they showed it on the Twitter accounts and it went viral and everything else, of Andre Pollard, who set up the move to start with, who just put his head in his hands and went, oh my God, how's he done that? <laughs> and Anthony Watson, who was probably sitting at home nursing his leg injury, was retweeting it. And I just thought that was that was really cool for a guy who possibly doesn't get the headlines all the time to do that. And actually I saw Jersey Reds kind of celebrating they'd been part of his journey too. So that was, he can be my... Nice, Steve. Good one. But my, mine is a, a, a small god, actually, but well, not very big. Anyway, Gus War, the sales scrum half, has suddenly burst through into the limelight on Saturday. Uh, he was faced with both his props went off after seven seconds, and then uh, after 19 minutes, he lost another player, so he's only got 14. He's only up against Antoine Dupont, and actually. For about 50 minutes, he gave Dupont hell. He badgered him. He made uh, Dupont made mistakes. He dropped passes. Later, Dupont came through brilliantly. But this this, this guy, uh, until Rafi Quirk came on with about 15 minutes to go, was just wonderful. Uh, he was he was dogged, but he was also skillful, tough, and uh, he got a huge standing ovation when he came off. So that's a I don't see a name for the future, but he's certainly going to be good for sale. I like that nomination. I saw him the week before at Harlequins again. He's been he's been excellent and un, sort of an unsung hero, really, of sales rise Absolutely. this season. When I went up there the other day, sorry, just on that note, to do that big piece we did in the Times a couple of weeks ago about sale, there were guys there being like, oh, it's going to be a bit of a shame for Gus War because when Rafi Quirk comes back, he's probably going to lose his place. But he might not, actually, because he's been so good, hasn't he? Absolutely. They're the little heroes, aren't they, you need in a season, the, the guys that are there... It's always Exeter used to have the Ian Whittons of the world and all that who never get picked for test honours and stuff, but they're just grafting every week and putting in seven, eight out of tens every week. That's what you need if you're going to win anything, isn't it? There we have it. Comprehensive roundup of all the rugby news uh, from Europe, from England, from Australia. That has been your ruck for the week. We'll be back in a week's time. Thank you to Alfie Reynolds for producing and editing as expertly as usual and condensing a lot of chat down into a listenable pod. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and enjoy your rugby week. We'll see you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.